Welcome to the Citizens Youth Podcast. Citizens Youth is a ministry of LifePoint Church in Vancouver, Washington. Citizens is a community of students who are learning to live for Jesus. We meet every Wednesday at 7 p.m. To find out more, check out lpcvan.com forward slash youth. It's funny, I've always, I've noticed this thing, like if you put like legendary music behind anything, it just makes it feel so much more legendary. And, uh, and then when you're forced like me to follow legendary music with like awesome video display, and it's like, hey guys, welcome back. I'm Jake still. I'm very happy that I'm still here. Uh, it's, it's very like, it's, it feels like a letdown to some extent, so I'm sorry for that. Um, but I am super excited. Are you guys doing all right? You guys are doing all right? Just, yeah, it was just okay. It was all right. That's fine. That's fine. Okay. Who's winning right now? We don't even say names. We scream. Yeah. Who's, uh, who's, anybody know? We have like a score update. Is that tonight? Late night game score update? All right. Scotland. I heard Scotland. Yes. What will you do without freedom? Huh? Brazil? I heard of Brazil. Japan? All right. Yeah. Now I can't hear anything. That's what I wanted. Chaos. I love chaos. So, um, you guys ever have like, you guys ever have hard conversations? How many of you have gotten in trouble in your life? Yeah. (laughs) So many people were quick to answer. Oh, definitely. How many of you have, like, had a hard conversation that you've put off for a long time and it was all you could think about all day and you knew it was coming but you just didn't want to have it and you were trying not to have it and eventually you had to have it and you felt sick and then afterwards you felt better? You guys have experienced that? It's like, where do you feel that? Somebody help me out. Where do you feel it at? Gut? I got gut. Where else? Stomach? Upper thigh? So like here, here-ish. Where? Heart? Like, like it's like a physical presence, right? Like you're carrying this thing inside you, and it's it's just. I'm gonna I'm gonna be really honest with you. So like when Sam and I were talking about messages for camp and the theme of follow, and we were like throwing out ideas, I was just like, oh yeah, and like this this one parable in Mark chapter four, and uh, and then like later I was like, I feel like I want to take that back. Like that's a really weird text, um, and it's in the Bible, so that I know that it's good. But it's like a story that I was not super excited to teach, and the more I studied it, the more I was like, what is this? Why did I choose this? And so for like weeks, I've had this churning in my gut about tonight. Um, and, and not because it's like bad news, but more just because like there's a story I'm gonna tell you. So last night's story is like epic. And then tomorrow we're gonna talk about this really, this really kind of cool guy who shows up to Jesus and Jesus like loves this man and he tells him something that's really, that's really great, I think. And it's really sort of exemplary and it's easy to pick from and it's very applicable to today's life. And tonight's message is just like, here's a story. And then Jesus tells us the meaning of that story and then we just leave, right? Like Sam was saying the story last night could have ended so differently. Like I always think about if, if you know, a, a high budget movie, like if you saw like a trailer for that movie, right? 
and then you got to camp and it was like 30 minutes of like, you know, playing catch with the Frisbee and then you left again and you're like, that felt like a lot of buildup for not that much excitement. So like a full length movie, like you go into the movie and it, you know, spends like 45 minutes developing this, this like love triangle or something like a romantic comedy and everything's really funny and then everyone just dies. And like the movie ends, like I've, I've waited for a movie to kind of pull off that heist where it's just like, it's funny, but it's also weird and frustrating and we can't live with that. And it's a little bit like what tonight is, right? Like, I, I, don't, I don't mean to get your hopes really high or anything, but it's just like this like weird, like, okay, I'm going to tell you this story and then um, we're going to go talk about that story. And it's a hard story. So you guys okay with a hard conversation? You guys cool with that? No. All right, let's get out of here. I'm ready too. Thank God. Uh, um, uh, so um, it's, it's funny, like, like what we're going to talk about tonight. So uh, Mark chapter four, verses one through, I believe, uh, 20. So um, it's going to be the parable of the sower. And um, it's just, a, it's an interesting passage. So I want to talk about, again, some context I want to give you a framework for this story. I want to talk about why Jesus uses parables, and then we're actually going to read this passage, okay? So last night, we talked about who we follow, okay? We talked about the the powerful Jesus, the Jesus who has power over nature, who conquered sin and conquered death, who conquered nature itself, wind, water, fire. He had power over all of those things, and, and we see that he is worth following because nature does not love us, right? Like nature is terrifying and a volcano does not love you. If anybody else noticed the tsunami evacuation zones when you were on the way in, um, like, like that's something that you have to think about if you're near the Oregon coast or near any coast on the Pacific Northwest. Um, we live in, where I live in the city I'm at, we live near Mount Rainier and we have a volcano evacuation route. Like in any direction you have to go uphill if the volcano erupts. And so nature doesn't love you, right? Nature is powerful and we like to go to the ocean and look at the ocean or go to like a cliff and look over the cliff and the Grand Canyon. We like to take in these majestic sites, um, maybe even going to see Mount Rainier and see the active volcano or see these volcanoes in Hawaii. But the reality is there's a piece of that that makes us feel very small and it's frightening because nature does not love us. And the point of last night's story is that Jesus is this great, big, powerful, untamable being and yet he loves us so we don't have to be afraid, right? Like this, this he, we can follow him because he loves us. And so tonight's story, if last night was uh, who we follow, tonight's story is going to be who will follow. So uh, you, if you saw in the video, one of the lines was, um, we're, we're going to learn why some people follow and others don't. And, and that's kind of what we're going to talk about tonight. So um, there's a really, I think, interesting application because all of us are going to in some ways see ourselves in the story, and it's going to be very easy to see other people in the story as well. It's going to be very easy to look around the room and think, oh, this person fits into this category, or, oh, I know this friend back home, or my parents, or my girlfriend, or whatever it's going to be. But I'm just going to ask you to do this with me. When we read this story, I want you to think about yourself and not someone else. I don't want you to be, to be picturing anyone else in the room or anybody else in your cabin as a member of this. I just want you to think about yourself and how this story applies to you, okay? So that's the first thing. The second thing I want to say is that Jesus tells this story using a parable. Anybody know what a parable is? What is it? It's a story, right? It's, it's an illustrative story. 
It's a, some people describe it as a word picture. So some of the classic parables in the New Testament would be like the parable of the hidden treasure where a guy finds a treasure and he sells everything he has in order to buy the field that that treasure was in. And Jesus says the kingdom of God is like this treasure that you should sell everything you have, that you should be willing to give up everything to get the kingdom of God. That's how valuable it is. So Jesus uses stories or parables to create this picture that makes it easy for people to understand. And yet there are other stories in the New Testament like this one that Jesus, he tells the story and then he immediately explains the story because the story itself almost seems more confusing than the actual explanation. And you go, why would he do that? Like, why would he use a story that's supposed to help people understand to, instead of understanding, confuse? He's, he's giving people something more difficult to chew on. And so I want to explain that to you before we go through the passage so that we're not kind of lost. So I want you to skip down. We're going to start in Mark 4, uh, verse 1, but I want you to skip down to verse 10. Jesus talks about the purpose of the parables. I'm going to read two things here. So verses 10 through 12, and then I'm going to skip over to, um, in my Bible, it's just another column over, um, but it's Mark uh, chapter 4, verses 33 and 34. So this is Mark chapter four, verse 10. Jesus just finished telling the story of the parables and it says this, and when he was alone, this is Jesus, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables so that, and this is where I say it's a little bit unusual. Verse 12, so that they may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Super weird, right? So the flip, go over, like if you're just one column over, or maybe you have to turn one page, but chapter four, verses 33 and 34, okay? Uh, Jesus just finished telling a parable about a mustard seed. He's using this idea to illustrate that, you know, little faith is, is not, it's not the quantity of your faith. It's not the amount of faith that you have. It's the object of your faith. So he tells a parable about a mustard seed saying this little tiny thing grows into this great big tree. And then he says this in verses 33 and 34. This is Mark talking about Jesus. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. So there's something very weird happening with Jesus telling these parables and he's telling these stories and what he says in, in verses 10 through 12 is that I'm telling these stories, I'm giving these examples, I'm using this method because the disciples are like, hey, look, you just told a story about some soils and a sower and some seed and it was a little bit confusing and none of us are really sure what exactly you meant and then privately, so instead of explaining it to the entire group he just told it to, privately he's explaining these things to his disciples he says, here's what it actually means. Now, the reason I say that's weird is that if I just told you the parable and then we all left here, we'd be like, well, I thought he was going to explain it to me, right? And Jesus says, the reason I'm doing it this way, the reason I'm doing this is because some people are going to hear, but they're not really going to hear. In other words, some people are going to hear, but they're not really going to understand. They're going to hear a story about a farmer and go, yep, seeds, ground, soil, know how all that works. What else you got? They're not going to try to apply it to anything else. 
Some people are going to see, but they're not going to perceive. They're going to see, but they're not really going to recognize what they're seeing. They're not going to stop and analyze and think and perceive. They're not going to be able to do that. And so Jesus uses stories like this, and this is very important. He uses stories like this to illustrate that we do not save ourselves. He's using stories like this to show people that their hearing is not their own. It's not very smart people figuring out the puzzle. It's not very gifted people listening better than others. He's saying that faith is ultimately a gift, not a virtue. You guys understand that? That Jesus is the giver of faith. He's the author of faith. He is the perfecter of faith, meaning he's the one working it out. And he's the object of faith. So faith is a gift, not a virtue. And he uses this story to illustrate inanimate objects receiving this other inanimate object and saying some will, some won't, and that's the way that it is. And it's a really unique thing. So I want to point out that the reason he tells the story this way is he's using parables to illustrate that idea that we cannot save ourselves. Okay? I've given a great deal of lead up here. Now I'm going to read the actual actual passage, Mark chapter 4. And it's 20 verses, so it's a little bit of text. I'm going to try to just read that to you. It's a story. So again, I'm going to read the first part. We'll skip over the part we just read, 10 through 12. We'll skip down where Jesus actually explains it. But you guys can follow along. I want you to hear this too. If you're having a hard time, like if you're super sleepy or you're feeling like, you know, the page is just kind of running together, you can close your eyes and just take some deep breaths. Not like go to sleep, close your eyes, but just picture the story, all right? It's a story. Engage it like a story. Don't engage it like a textbook. Don't be like, okay, let me analyze every single word here. Engage it like a story because that's the way Jesus told it. You guys with me? All right, let's do it. Mark chapter four, verse one. Again, he began to teach beside the sea and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen. That's what you guys should do right now. Listen. A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path. And the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears, let him hear. Jesus then explains what we read earlier, verses 10 through 12, and the disciples ask him what he's talking about, and he says, some people are going to hear and not understand. They're going to see and not perceive. And then in verse 13, Jesus explains the parable. So skip down to verse 13, and he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. 
They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Let's pray. Lord, this is, I think this is a hard truth. I think it's a hard story, but there is much to be learned. And even in studying it, God, as as you've revealed in my own heart the cares and the deceitfulness of, of riches, the things that I have bought into that are not you, that have choked out the passion and the love that I might have for you. God, those things are what this story brings to light. Those things are what this story shines light on, these tendencies in our own heart. And so God, I ask that as we talk tonight that we would be honest with ourselves and our friends later about who we are and Lord, about how we hear, how we hear your name, how we receive you, how we listen. Help us, Lord. In your good name, amen. All right. I said this is a really hard passage because um, Jesus, he tells this story about a guy and he goes out and he's got some seed, right? You just picture he's got like that side cool messenger bag, probably super fit, um, like a lot of you. I was standing off to the side watching you guys play Frisbee and, and like football and stuff and I was like, I'm not just like pretend old, like there are multiple girls out here throwing a football farther than I can throw a football And like, I used to, I played college baseball and I used to have like this great pride in my right shoulder. And now I'm like, oh, it's an injury. It's an old war injury. That's why you can throw it farther than me. Um, So yeah, it's not my fault. It's someone else's fault. Uh, I mean, you guys like, you guys are an athletic group. It's quite impressive. So picture like a fit farmer with a satchel and a bag and he's got some seed in the bag and he's walking along this great big uh, field and he's throwing the seed everywhere and the seed's just kind of falling in different places and then basically that's the story right this picture in your mind and I asked this question as I was studying this passage and, and beginning to kind of think about like what God wanted to say to me and through me as I studied this who is this story for Like Jesus is telling this story and basically like I got up here and what I just said is that I'm going to stand up here and talk and I'm going to talk for approximately, you know, 30 to 40 minutes. And at the end of this, some of you will have listened to me. Others will not have listened to me. And some of you will have pretended to listen to me or sort of listen to me. And then you're going to forget everything once we walk out the door. And so I might as well, I would have just been just as good as not saying anything. And that like, that's the end, right? And then Jesus is like, so there you go. I'm like, well, what's the purpose of even telling the story then? If the people who are going to listen are going to listen, the people who aren't going to listen aren't going to listen. Like, is this for the disciples? Is it to encourage the sower to be like, hey, if you get up there and talk, some people are going to listen, some people are not going to listen. That's fine. It's not your fault. Is it for like the seed? Like the, the, the plant? Is it just like, hey, you're a good plant. Don't be sad, little plant. Like, what is this for? That's the weirdness of this passage. I want to help us see it. I want to help us understand it. So um, I said before, he's talking in parables, and he's using this parable to illustrate a really important thing. He's illustrating to us that the kingdom of God comes differently than the kingdom of man, right? 
The kingdom of God is this expression Jesus uses throughout the Gospels. He's talking about the, the presence, God entering into our world. So Jesus says the kingdom of God is, not, is neither here nor there, right? You're not going to be able to say, look, there's a kingdom of God. Like, I promise the sandcastles you built today are not the kingdom of God. Those were horrible. Like, so many sandcastles, and I was watching them, and they were so bad. Um, uh, I mean, you guys are great. You're all special snowflakes. What am I supposed to say? I forgot. Um, yeah, like, I, like I, I mean, there was just, you guys are not architects of sandcastles. Uh, I grew up on the beach, and like, I've seen like professional sandcastle builders, and I thought somewhere amongst you there would be one. There is not, okay? Definitively not. I didn't see, I didn't see all of them. I saw like five. A merman? It's merman. Well done. All right, I want to see the merman now, so I, I, I'm sorry I insulted you if you actually did good things. Some of it was just like a pile, like it was just a sand pile and not a castle, um, which, to be fair, is all I have in me, okay? Don't hear me saying I'm a professional sandcastle builder. I just expected more of you. So the kingdom of God is neither here nor there. It's not something you can see. It's not something you point at. The kingdom of God is, is this presence of God. It's God breaking into our world. And again, I'll I'll quote the Jesus storybook Bible I read to my daughter. It says, when all the sad things are becoming untrue, right? It's God coming in and healing the sick and helping the blind see and helping the, the lame walk. And he's restoring order. He's making the world what it should have been when he created in Genesis 1. That's the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of man is what we see every single day around us. And, and the point here is that the kingdom of God comes by listening And Jesus is very specifically pointing out that the kingdom of man and the kingdom of God are on opposite ends of the universe. Because the kingdom of man is built by people who do and take and talk. Do you ever see like a commercial that's just silence? No, right? Because you can't sell something without talking about how great it is. Like if they showed you a movie clip and there was no music behind it and it was just like two people just walking along and nothing happened and then the movie, the trailer ended and you're like, yeah, I'm not going to see that. Was it 15 bucks to go see a movie these days? I'm not in. I'm not going. Right? You can't sell something without talking about it. The way you build the kingdom of man is to sell, is to talk, is to take, is to do. And so all the people that we watch, they're going to tell you, oh, this is what you have to do to get the booty workout, right? This is what you have to do to be on the sports, on on the best varsity team. I said that like a really old guy, right? You get on the Facebook to get on the sports team. Uh, Like to get on varsity, you got to be elite. You got to go train eight days a week. You know, you got to be out there five hours a day. Like it's just this nonstop. They're going to tell you this is what you do to get and that is the kingdom of man and the kingdom of God comes by listening. Jesus starts out with the only command he gives throughout this entire passage and it's listen. The kingdom of God is built by people who will hear, who will stop long enough. They'll stop putting their headphones in. They'll stop shoving noise and ideas and different things in long enough to be alone with their own thoughts and say, something else has to be here. Someone else has to save me. I'm not good enough. I will never be good enough. The kingdom of God comes from listening. It's built differently. 
And so Jesus illustrates this point, and then he explains it his, his, with his parables by quoting Isaiah chapter 6. I read verses 10 through 12 earlier. I'm just going to read verse 12 this time. Jesus is saying, uh, or excuse me, verses 11 and 12. He says, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. Look back at this. But for those outside, everything is in parables, and this is verse 12, so that... They may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand lest they should turn and be forgiven. So he's quoting Isaiah chapter six. If you guys will, I'm gonna exercise your books of the Bible knowledge. Turn to Isaiah chapter six. In Isaiah chapter six, there's this really beautiful thing that happens. Um, Some of you might be familiar with this passage. There's a couple of songs that are based on this passage. God is calling the prophet Isaiah to deliver a message to his people. And the way he goes about doing that is God shows up to Isaiah. Like Isaiah is just living and it says, then I saw the Lord seated upon the throne. And then Isaiah says, I saw angels with wings covering their eyes, looking upon the Lord, singing this great song. And it's this beautiful vision that the angels are going, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. They're singing about the goodness, the otherness, the set-apartness of God. They're giving this great song. And the angels are effectively saying, look, we can't even look at him. He's so beautiful. He's so different. He's so good. I can't even look at these these angels. These otherworldly beings are saying that. And Isaiah then goes, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. I can't see this or I'm going to die. Like this is a very wild scene in scripture. And so Isaiah is saying like, I I can't do this. I can't be here. And then it says that an angel is going to take a burning coal with tongs from the altar and it's going to burn Isaiah's mouth And he's saying, look, this has touched your lips and your guilt is taken away. So symbolically, God is showing Isaiah this vision and he's burning his lips and saying, the the nastiness of your mouth is taken away. This mouth has been consecrated for my use. You're going to deliver a message for me, God. This is God speaking to Isaiah. You, Isaiah, are going to deliver a message for me, God. I'm going to use your mouth as my message or my messenger. So they burn his lips. This angel has burned his lips and it says, your sin is atoned for. And then this is verse eight of Isaiah chapter six. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? God says, Who am I going to send? Who am I going to send out? Who am I going to send to tell the world about my glory? And Isaiah has just looked at the most beautiful thing he has ever seen in, in his entire life. And there's this really famous line here. Some of you might have heard it before. Isaiah says, here am I. Send me. Do whatever you want with me. Pick me. I will do anything to be on your team. I will do anything to sustain this. I want to be with you. I have seen you. You are good. You are perfect. You are holy. You are worth following. You are everything. This is Isaiah's encounter with the Jesus we met in the boat last night. Isaiah says, send me. I'll go anywhere. I will do anything. And here's what happens to him. Verse 9 And God said, go and say to this people, he's he's speaking of his people, Israel, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Those are the words Jesus just quoted in Mark chapter four, verse 12. 
Keep on hearing, but don't understand. Keep on seeing, but don't perceive. What God just told Isaiah is that you are my messenger. I have consecrated your mouth to speak for me. I am sending you to my people Israel, and you are going to speak my message. And they will listen to you over and over and over again, and they will never hear. I said it was a hard message. <laughs> that doesn't sound ideal, right? Like, like not many of us are like, man, that just sounds good. Isaiah and Jeremiah had it really rough. Like they used to get beat up and kicked out of the city naked because they'd go in and be like, you guys are sinning. You need to repent. And they'd be like, nope. And like strip off their clothes, beat them up, throw them outside the city naked. And they would just like, Jeremiah would just go cry outside the city. And then God would be like, all right, go back. And he's like, oh. Right, like, like just this miserable thing. And he tells Isaiah, you're gonna go and you're gonna deliver my message and no one's gonna listen. And they're gonna reject you. And Jesus says, I'm speaking in parables because in these parables, they're gonna hear but they're never gonna understand. So there's some there's some characters or some players in the story that I want to talk to you about. There's these inanimate objects and then there's, there's one really kind of animate object, but uh, there's the sower, right? There's the sower, then there's the seed, and then there's the soils. And the soils are really kind of the, the main part of the message, but I want to straighten out the other two as well. So I want to talk to you about the sower. So the sower is the guy who throws out the seed. He's the farmer. He's the planter. And Jesus says the sower went out to sow. And that we really don't get a lot about the sower other than he's just sowing the seed. And, and I'm gonna tell you this, there's not like pleasure gardening in this society. It wasn't like the sower went out to prune his 8,000 rose garden. You know, like, like it, it's just not this, it was, it was very driven by need and life. So he's sowing grain. He goes out to sow this grain. And the plan, if you're sowing seed, is to get a harvest. You guys understand that, right? They did not sow seed just to sow seed. There was nothing cool. Like, it wasn't like CrossFit. Like, CrossFit is like functional movement. And you're like, yeah, for all those times in regular life where you lift weight over your head like this. Um, like, like, functional, like, there was no, like, pleasurable just sowing seed. You didn't just go out and you're like, yeah, man, this is just what I do on Saturdays. I just throw plants. It's excellent, right? He's sowing seed in hopes of getting a harvest, that's why you sow the seed. And if you don't get a harvest, there's two things that happen. You fail and probably you die, okay? Like if, if you don't get a harvest, either you're selling that grain or you're living off that grain. And so that, that doesn't happen. You have nothing to sell. You have no means to life. You die. And so the sower is sowing the seed in hopes of getting a harvest. And there, the goal is for it to grow. Now I'm gonna say this. If it doesn't grow... This is not an exact science, right? He's not saying like he's, he's planting every single one. Sowing seed is different than like potting plants. This is a shotgun approach. You're throwing it out onto soil that you have worked and some of it is going to scatter. That's the illustration he's using. And so it's, if it doesn't work, I want to say this very specifically. If it does not work, it's not the sower's fault. Do you guys understand that? Like if the seed doesn't grow... It's not like, well, he did it wrong. You're supposed to throw it left-handed, northwest-facing winds, and up and over the shoulder. 
That's how it goes. Everybody knows that, right? It's not the sower's fault if the seed doesn't grow. It also doesn't say that it's the seed's fault. It's not a dysfunctioning seed. So there's, there's no command here given to the sower. But who is the sower? Jesus then says the seed is the word when he starts to teach on what this actually is. So um, if you look down at the bottom, I think it's verse 13, might be 14. Jesus says, uh, do you not understand? And then verse 14, the sower sows the word. So the seed is actually the word. So the person talking here would be the sower. So Jesus is talking about himself. He's the sower. He's the farmer. He's the one preaching the message. He's the one teaching the message. He's saying, the, the seed is the word, and I am saying this, and some people are going to receive it. So the sower is Jesus at this point, and I'm going to ask this question too. If we're talking today, in today's world, who is the sower in today's world? Well, it's, I'll tell you this. It's not me, okay? And the reason I say that is I'm, I'm not the one with the message, like I would be more like Isaiah in this situation. I'm just delivering the message. So Jesus is still the sower today. Jesus is still the main character in that part of the story. He is the sower then and the sower today. Now he says the seed is the word. Now, does that mean that the seed is like teachings? Is the seed like if you listen to what Jesus says and you take those things in and you do those things, then you're the good soil. So the, the seed is the teachings, and if you do the teachings, then you've listened to it correctly. The problem with that is like the rest of the Bible. Like the rest of the Bible says nothing about how the, the real people who hear are the ones who are doers, right? The rest of the Bible says that faith is a gift, not a virtue. The rest of the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The rest of the Bible says that the word is actually Jesus himself. Do me a favor. I said we're going to flip back and forth to a bunch of paces. I want you to flip to John chapter 1. Should be just to, so you're flipping to your right. The New Testament goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We were in Mark 4 Flip to John 1. I want to read to you John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, and then 9 through 14. John writes this in John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. It's talking about Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with Him in the beginning. Not anything that was made was made without Him. He was there for it all. The Word is Jesus. Skip down to verse 9. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, and the world did not know Him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh. Listen to this, verse 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Who is the Word? 
Who's the word? Jesus. Jesus is the word. Jesus is the word. And he says, the sower is the word. And so the point he's making here is that the sower is sowing the seed and the seed is the word. When the sower is Jesus and the word is Jesus, Jesus is saying, some of you are going to reject me. I am going to be either rejected or received by everyone in the room. There is no in-between here. You in your lifetime will either receive or reject Jesus. Do you understand me? There is not a moment where it's just like, well, I'm indifferent towards Jesus. I, I, res- I, you know, I respect him. I don't reject him. I respect him. But, but Jesus doesn't come to be respected. He comes to be received. And you, as a human being, made in the image of God, made for the glory of God, made for his purpose, for his image, made for his glory, will either receive or reject him in your lifetime. And Jesus says that we're all going to receive or reject him in these different ways. He says there's four kinds of soil. The first one is the path. It's hard ground. Path is walked on, so it's become hard. It's all packed down. And you throw the seed out, and it doesn't even sink down. Before it even has time to sink down, he says the birds come in. And throughout scripture, God uses this imagery of birds as like, like the enemy, which I find strange. Like if he was going to describe something as Satan, I felt like the snake was comfortable in Genesis 1. Um, spiders are always a good option. Uh, birds don't really scare me at all. Um, that dead bird out at the beach was a bit creepy. But he frequently uses birds as like this image for the enemy. And so he says this, that there are some people in this room who even right now are going to be so distracted. There's going to be anything happening around them that when Jesus starts to press on your heart, when Jesus starts to say, I'm speaking to you, I'm talking to you, I'm calling you, before that even has a chance to sink down, it's going to be like, I got to pee. I definitely have to pee. I'm going pee. Not right now. I'm going to the bathroom. I got to get up and leave, right? Do not pee your pants, by the way. Um, I don't know if that's written on the rules or anything. Uh, but, but some of you are going to be so distracted in this moment. You're going to be thinking about something else, someone else. S- something is going through your mind that you're just going, I'm not even listening. It doesn't even have time to sink in. And Jesus says, you're the path. Now listen to me. It doesn't mean you're the path forever, Right? but that's what's happening. And here's one of the most intimidating parts of this passage to me. We, we oftentimes, I think, just in our own human arrogance, think that we have the upper hand on God. Like, we can sit and just be like, man, I don't even need to listen to this, right? I'm just gonna hear the same thing 25 other times. And, you know, and, and God just goes, yeah, there's a place for you. You're the path. Like if you're like, you're pulling the wool over God's eyes by not listening and Jesus just goes, yeah. I've, I've got a category for that, right? You've been distracted. The word has been taken away. It, it didn't have time to penetrate your heart because you've got something else going on. So that's the first soil. The second soil is the rocky ground. The rocky ground And he says what happens with the rocky ground is that the seed goes out, the word goes out. Jesus goes out and you receive him. 
and, it, and, and you start to think, oh man, I love this Jesus. He's a good guy. I, I've accepted him. He told me he forgave me of my sins. I've accepted, and all these different things. And then it says this, that it didn't have any depth. There wasn't much soil in there to support it. And so when the sun comes out, it, it dies. It withers up and dies. And then he explains what he means by that. He says the sun in this case would be tribulations or trials and persecution. But he doesn't just say any, right? He's not just like, oh, you broke your left hand playing sports, right? He says that when, when trials or persecution happen on account of the word, you wither and die. This isn't just, you know, you hurt yourself playing your favorite sport or that girl didn't like you or that guy. It's not that. It's, oh, you're a Christian? I don't, I don't really want to be friends with you. Oh, that, that's what you do. Well, if you're not going to do this with us, then we're not going to invite you to our house. You're not going to be a part of our friend group. You're not going to be in our community anymore. You're going to be excluded. You're going to be mocked. You're going to be ridiculed. Any of those things on account of the word, on account of Jesus, if somebody says, oh, you're one of them, right? You're lumped into this category of being persecuted, of experiencing trial, of having hardship because you believe Jesus. You've received Jesus. And he says, eventually you will wither and die because you don't have any depth. And, and again, like there's some of us here who maybe for the first time or maybe for the fifth time are at camp and we're gonna have this great experience and we're gonna worship Jesus and these great things are gonna happen and, and we're gonna go back and things are gonna be different. And it's gonna be hard. And then it's gonna be gone. And Jesus says, you are the rocky ground. And then there's this third soil. He says it's the thorns. And what happens with the thorns is the seed, again, goes down and starts to grow, and it gets choked out by the thorns. And he describes what the thorns are. He says, they're the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches. He says, you love something else or someone else more than him. That it starts to grow up and again, you've received him and you've just said, oh man, I am so grateful for Jesus. I'm so grateful for what he's doing. And then when you get back home, when you spend the next year following him, any of those things, you go off to college and somebody starts to push on that and you're like, well, I'd rather be popular. I'd rather be tough. I'd rather be on my own. I'd rather be rich. I'd rather be successful. I'd rather be anything else other than a follower of Jesus. And he says, the cares of the world, the deceitfulness, these things that trick you into believing that they're worth more and they ultimately lead to death. Keep that in mind, that the end of each of these three kinds of soils is death. That the seed never grows. That there's a dry, dead soil left behind in this. And he says, if, if you are that person, if the deceitfulness of the world, if the cares of the world, if there's something else that is choking out this belief when you go home from here, when you've received that word, then you're the thorns. And then he says, this, he spends like the least amount of time, he says, and then there's a fourth soil, and it's the good soil. And the good soil, the word goes down, the seed goes down, and over time it bears fruit. And, and all the fruit's different. Everybody bears a different amount of fruit. There's 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold, and it's over time. And he says, that's the good soil. 
Now, I want you to hear me on this. What can soil do to help itself? Like, there's nothing in this story where Jesus goes, so be careful. You be careful, soils. Like, if you were out planting a garden, you wouldn't be like, help me out a little here, dirt. Which dirt is the good dirt? You tell me, okay. Uh, Oh, the thorns, thank you, sir. And, uh, like, it's not talking to you. You can't give it instruction. It's just there. And Jesus says, our hearts are this kind of soil that he's he's going to either be received or rejected by us. And and in that, we have to be self-aware enough, we have to be self-examining enough to know what's going on in our heart because we cannot till ourselves. We cannot make ourselves love the Lord. You cannot turn yourself into good soil. That's why I said this is a really hard passage because truthfully, it just ends, right? Jesus just says, that's the end. There's a good soil and that one bears fruit and then he stops talking. And I couldn't do that. So I kept thinking like, what what is this? Where's the good news in this passage? All of us are either going to receive or reject Jesus in our life, in our lifetime. What does it mean? I think it means this. I'm gonna flip back to Isaiah 6. If you wanna go there, you can. I read Isaiah 6 chapter, uh, or Isaiah chapter 6 verse 9 earlier. Um, I'm gonna read a little bit after that. So God says to Isaiah in verse 9, he says, go and say to his people, keep on hearing but do not understand. Keep on seeing but do not perceive. And then this is God still speaking to Isaiah. He says, make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. And then Isaiah says, he asked God, how long, O Lord? And God said, until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste, and the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land, and though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again, like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. I'm like talking about good news. <laughs> Isaiah says, how long am I supposed to go and deliver this message that they're never gonna listen to? And God says, until I destroy all of them. And then I was like, yeah, that makes me want to throw up. I said, have you ever had a hard conversation? And like for like weeks, I was just like, I just, I don't want to say this. The end for those who reject Jesus is destruction. But here's the beautiful part. Here's the good news. When Jesus says, he is the word. When Jesus says he is the seed, he says in John 12 that he will be rejected as the seed, that the seed must die before it can bear fruit. That the seed has to go into the ground to die before it can bear fruit. And and the good news of this story, the good news of our lives today is that we will multiple times over our lifetime reject Jesus. We will be too distracted. We'll be too concerned by the cares of the world. We'll be too, uh, too concerned with our own riches. We'll be deceived by all these different things. We will be 
thrust aside, will be dried up by tribulation and trials, and yet the rejection of Jesus ultimately leads to our redemption. That the soil of our hearts is tilled because Jesus knows we cannot till our own hearts. That we become good soil by looking on his mercy, by looking on his love, by looking on his sacrifice, and recognizing that he, without fail, without wincing, went to the cross to endure our, our sin, to endure our consequence, to endure our discipline from God, the wrath of the Father, and that love, that mercy, that sacrifice changes me. I was, for years, the path. Too distracted. I was, for years, and this is still my bent, my tendency. I, I was cared so much about the world. I cared so much about riches, about my own ambition. I had my own plan. I wanted to do my own thing. I was and am frequently the rocky ground, the thorny ground, and the path. And I will tell you, when I was 21 years old, I became the good soil because I met the only person who had ever loved me unconditionally. I met the only person who ever chased me down in darkness and said, you are mine, and shook me to wake me from death, to wake me from darkness, that his mercy and his love and his goodness and his pursuit of me changed my heart where I could not change it before. As much as I wanted to love God, as much as I wanted to be his, I still wanted the other stuff. And so I would receive him and I would walk away and the fruit would die and those things would be gone. And I would go back to living my own life until, until, until Jesus changed my heart. And he made me the good soil. His blood spilled made the soil of my heart wet and able to receive him. And if you see him in that light, it changes you. So I'm going to ask you this question. I'm going to ask you this question like five different ways. And I think the band's going to come and we're going to sing. And then we're going to go back again to small groups and we're going to talk. You guys are going to talk about a bunch of different versions of this particular question. How do you hear? How do you hear Jesus? How do you receive Jesus? What type of soil do you see in your own heart? You don't have to just be the rocky ground, right? You don't have to just be the path. You don't have to just be one of those things. You may have tendencies toward those things. But which one are you? If you were really honest, will you follow him? Last night we said, who we follow. Tonight is who will follow. Will you follow him? If you won't, then why not? Too distracted. Too many ambitious dreams. Too many things you might lose. Will you follow him? 